Welcome to Methods, a podcast from the ESRC National Centre for Research Methods. In today's episode, Professor Jonathan Gershuni from the Centre for Time Use Research at the University of Oxford talks about time use studies, what they are, the important social research making use of them, and what we've learned from them. He starts by explaining what a time use diary is. It's a sequential account, starting from the time you get up, of exactly what you do collecting the start and finish times of the activity, what you're doing, if you're doing anything else at the same time, who you're with, sometimes what you're using. So our new studies have whether you're using ICT devices, location, mode of transport if you're, if you're moving, most importantly now, how much you're enjoying what it is that you're doing. And we collect these through the day, these different fields of information through the day, preferably in own words where possible, and preferably for multiple days. The most recent large-scale studies just take two days, but my favourite studies actually collect seven sequential days, most useful, though extremely burdensome for the respondent. How and why are these useful in social research? They provide an unbiased view of the range of all activities undertaken by, since we take national random samples of households, everyone in the population. And it gives it in an open-minded way so that you can come back after decades and re-examine the essentially qualitative information in the own words data to find exactly what it is people were doing, even though this may not have been of interest in the past. So, for example, in the 1980s, we do actually find people talking about using computers. We didn't think of this as a way of getting information about computing activity back in the 1980s, but recently we've been looking at this, and we find that while it's only an average of a fraction of a minute a day spent using computers at home in the mid-1980s, we still find that particular sorts of people were spending two or three hours a day, only it's only a few hundred in our small sample, on their computers. question we'd never have thought of asking then, but we can now straightforwardly get get from the qualitative information contained in these large-scale surveys. Tell us something of the other sorts of things that, uh, that the team at the Centre for Time Use Research have been looking at. All human life is there. <laughs> we have ageing researchers, we have health researchers, we have people looking at the energy requirement, the energy footprints, you might say, of different sorts of activities. We've got people looking at paid work and how it occurs through the through the week we've got people looking at unpaid work we've got people looking at the domestic division of labor which looks at all sorts of work and also at the division of domestic labor which looks in particular at the way men and women divide up the household production we look at childcare and indeed we can look at the activities of children because we have good diary collections. Some of our most enthusiastic informants are aged between 8 and 15. Could you tell us of something of the key things that have emerged if you like, the key things we've learned from the, the data that has been looked at to date? Well the most dramatic results are of course the changes in the balance of work. What we find is the shift of un 
paid work, reduction of unpaid work on women and the increase of that taken on by men, in, a, in effect a gender shift, though in fact many of the things that the men have taken on are new activities, childcare, where the things that women are no longer doing is, are old activities like clothes washing that now happens relatively automatically if, if you're well equipped. Um, what can only emerge from time use material is that when you put all the different sorts of work together, you find that men and women do very similar totals of work. And one of the most surprising findings for me is long-term historical, that this old assumption that as we got richer and more productive as a society, work would disappear from the society. On the contrary, it looks as if work, paid and unpaid, stays pretty much constant over very long periods, which, of course, fits together with social psychologists' arguments about the importance of work itself for well-being independent of its economic impact. Some really exciting developments also from a methods perspective in, in, the, in the way some of this data is being collected. One might think of a diary in terms of an old-fashioned journal that we, we write in, but actually some of your team have been doing some exciting things using wearable cameras. Yep. One of the things that's always been said about time-use data is that the validity of it has yet to be established. We have been aware for a long time that we need a proper validity study and the problem has been to design it. And this is where the cameras come in. We now have small wearable cameras that have sufficient battery life to allow the observation of a complete day. And what we have in place is a couple of experiments where we have specially recruited samples of people who keep conventional time-use diaries and who also wear cameras. And we have teams of coders who go through the camera records independently of the recorded diary to produce activity sequences that resemble the paper diaries that we use traditionally and we're currently in the process of comparing the camera derived diaries with the respondent recall diaries. And what has that told you so far? The one paper we've produced which was of our pilot survey of 15 diarists and camera wearers suggested a very high level of correlation in the aggregate time spent by individuals in particular categories of activity. And what we're hoping to do with the larger 150-person sample that we're just at the point of starting to analyze, what we're hoping to do is some sequence analysis to generate distance measures between the diarist's camera and uh, same-day diary sequences and compare these to distance measures to other people's sequences so we can have some inferential statistics statistics that will allow us to look at the validity of the diary records. But basically, the results so far are hugely encouraging. What we find is that when people keep diaries, they may well slip the time forward by five or ten minutes, but they're just as likely to do it forwards as backwards, and very often with shorter activities, when you slip the start time forward, you slip the end time forward. What that means is that the aggregate amount of time spent in the activities, which is the main application of the time diary, or at least has been in the past, it means that the self-recalled diary is actually producing a valid 
and reliable picture of what that person's daily time use is. Fascinating new insights. I, I want to ask you what, one last thing, really, and that's about happiness and well-being. I know it's a particular interest uh, of yours, but obviously a huge amount of policy interest over the last couple of years in the well-being of the nation. Are we happy? Are we unhappy? You know, how do we show that? How do we find that out? Tell us a bit about how um, time use data can help with that and, and what we've learned from time use data. Well, the psychologist economist Daniel Kahneman produced a distinction between subjective and objective happiness. Kahneman's objective happiness is actually asking people at particular time points while engaged in particular activities how much you're enjoying this activity, which is obviously the right way to go about it, where the general vague unqualified how happy are you questions are the wrong way to do it. What a number of people are now doing is collecting, in some cases, national random sample time use data for which each time point is evaluated from the point of view of the respondent's enjoyment, which allows us to calculate national happiness or enjoyment statistics. By a fortunate coincidence, exactly the same time use data can be used as the basis for constructing gross national product statistics. So the same data then produces two orthogonal results, one of which looks at the economic consequences of the activity and the other looks at the subjective consequences of the economic activities, production and consumption for the individual. How well do these two statistics fit together? Well, we're just beginning to discover. And lots of new data just about to come out. I know you're going to be working with it, but presumably you'd be encouraging other researchers to look out for it when it does come along. Absolutely. We're publicly funded, so it's public data. We don't have the right to reserve it for our own use for an extended period. I confess we are using it at the moment to write a book, but anyone who asks for it is being given access to the beta release data, and we're planning to release the final data set, or at least an initial version of the final data set, within three months of this July. Jonathan Gashuni was talking to Chris Garrington following his presentation at the Research Methods Festival 2016. You can find out more on the NCRM website at www.ncrm.ac.uk.